This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. You're listening to the Chasing Tales Outdoor Podcast, where when you can't be in the outdoors, we bring it to you. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Chasing Tales Outdoor Podcast. We had a bit of an audio issue on the intro of this, so the first you know, 10 minutes of this is a little bit sketch, uh, but it cleans up right after that, and we go back into the quality audio experience that you guys come to expect. So... Stick with it for about 10 minutes. If you can't take that, just fast forward about 10 minutes. It's really not that bad. I just wanted to let you guys know up front that we did have a little bit of technical difficulties there for a minute. But uh, hope you guys enjoy. Welcome back to another episode of the Chasing Tales Outdoor Podcast. My name is Walt. His name is Chase. And each and every week, we've got one goal. To help motivate you, inspire you, entertain you, so that you get outside and enjoy something in the outdoors. We don't care what it is. Obviously, we have our biases, but we just want to get you outside and enjoy all the different wonderful things that we have uh, to to enjoy outside. And so uh, this week, we are continuing the dialogue on deer hunting. Uh, We've got a South Florida – I'm going to call call him what it is. I I think this dude's a legend the way he gets – uh, gets it done in the outdoors. Um, he, he spends almost as much time in the outdoors as Chase does, and the guy uh, works in the outdoors. So, uh, dude, w- why don't you tell everybody who we got on here tonight? Yeah, we brought on the show uh, Ryan Nitz. Uh, he was a guy that has been requested by many of the members, uh, or, or by some of our Patreon members, and I've also talked to other people that listen to the podcast. They've seen his Instagram. They've seen him posting some big bucks. Uh, they know he's a South Florida guy, and they were just kind of like, "Hey, man, get this guy on, so we can find out uh, uh, how he does it." Yeah, man, it was it was a great time chatting with him. This is going to be one of those where we zip through a lot of information because there's a lot there to unpack. I mean, anytime you spend as much time in South Florida as he has, killing as many big deer as he's killed, I mean, it, it's just a it's a bang up time. Hearing him kind of break it down in. I mean, it was almost like speed dating. We hit each topic pretty quick, um, a lot of information there, and uh, he's graciously agreed to jump back on the show and answer any questions you guys may have, uh, and I think we're definitely going to have him back on for turkey. So, John uh, Porter, this one's for you, buddy. Uh, you, you you mentioned Ryan Nitz a couple different times, and I, I'm glad to say we have officially had him on the show. Yeah, yeah, I, I was uh, excited uh, when he agreed to come on. Uh, I know he had a few things to do, and that's kind of why the episode's maybe a little bit shorter this week. Uh, he had some uh, obligations that he had to get to, but I, I still think he covered quite a few things. It, it's funny to me that we both hunt the same state, yet we hunt totally different uh, terrain and different tactics, different strategies. Uh, it, it's just, I mean, like I said, South Florida is kind of like the like going to Africa or something like that. It's just (laughs) completely different uh, than it is up here. Uh, And he didn't really sell me on wanting to come down to hunt South Florida. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's funny, man. Yeah. He, he put out a, 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 a bold challenge. I think he dang near dared anybody who was uh, interested to, to come down there and, um, and, and hunt it because it's not going to be easily earned. That's for sure. No, it, it doesn't sound. It doesn't sound like you just 
pull up to the WMA and you've got it figured out in a day or two. Uh, according to him, it takes years. And we also had, uh, I think his name was Trent Streeter on the podcast uh, last year, uh, back in August uh, when he killed a, a big deer down there. And he, I mean, the same, same, kind of the same story. I mean, it takes years uh, to get to know those areas down there. And we're, we've kind of been talking about that before on the podcast where it's, it takes years in Florida uh, to be able to figure out the deer here. Oh yeah, it, it does. It, it, I mean, this will be year five for me and I can tell you right now, I'm nowhere near learned. <laughs> I've got a whole lot, to, <laughs> a whole lot more to go. Um, but this, you, you could tell that Ryan helped, uh, helped validate a lot of what uh, everybody said. I mean, the guy kills some slammer deer. I mean, last year he had a, uh, just a unbelievable season okay so before we get let you guys get to that episode we got a couple things to talk about here one if you're listening to this it's still time to sign up for the yak and bass challenge we just added a new sponsor country boy baits will be donating a prize package to the tournament uh, we're up to 22 at the time of this recording nope we just had somebody else sign up so it may not have updated but we're, we're north of 20 contestants here don't forget there's two brackets this year you can sign up and fish for first place, which is the, you know, five of your longest fish, or you only have to catch one big fish. There's a big fish pot this year where if you can catch the largest fish in the tournament, you win as well. So uh, kind of two different ways to win there. You can be really lucky or you can be really, really good like Chase, and uh, you stand a chance to win something. So uh, go check it out. The link's in the show notes, $25, and the the proceeds are going to takemefishing.org. Yeah, I'm super stoked, man. We've only got a couple of days left. You and I are going to day day one, starting it off, doing some night fishing uh, with a, a man that really knows how to get it done <laughs> on the water. <laughs> yeah. And I, I can't wait for that and uh, to get to hang out with you. Uh, it's going to be an epic time. And the whole, I'm pretty much the, the whole 30 days is, is, is great. So if you're on the fence, just go ahead and sign up. Uh, you won't regret no. it. For sure. In fact, uh, the fellow we're fishing with, his personal record, I'm looking at it right now, uh, is a 26.25-inch bass. And uh, for anybody who's wondering, that's a huge, huge fish. (laughs) (laughs) It is. Oh, man. Well, in addition to that, we've got a couple other things going on. Don't forget, if you want to get entered for the Q2 giveaway, we're giving away a Browning cell camera and five Simmons trail cameras it's a prize package that kind of harkens back to a philosophy that Chase and I have a lot of, which harp on a lot, that is, uh, which is get eyes in the woods. Use those trail cameras to identify areas. If you listen to last week's episode, Brett talked about the value of trail cameras. It's a constant theme in the South, and uh, we're, we're going to put our money where the mouth is, and we're going to thank anybody who signs up for Patreon um, by entering their name into a giveaway, uh, let's see, at the end of June. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a great prize package. Uh, I mean, a lot of people like to utilize trail cameras for like on the spot data, but I think that you'll find if you put these trail cameras in areas where you may not even hunt that year, just leave it alone. Let it sit there for a year. Let it collect data. Uh, find uh, some maybe some pertinent information where, hey, there's bucks cruising through here like crazy uh, from October 1st through October 15th or something like that. You can store that, and then next year, you know, okay, I need to be in that area at that time. There's so many different ways you can utilize trail cameras, and and I think whoever uh, wins this prize is going to be uh, super excited, and I hope that it will help them uh, get on more deer. Absolutely, man. 
on that note, we got a couple companies that we work with every year to bring this content to you. First and foremost, while we're talking about deer, Spartan Forge. Spartan Forge takes actual deer movements from hundreds of different deer, tens and thousands and millions of data points, overlays weather conditions, humidity, barometric pressure, the moon, the alignment of Venus. I'm kidding. I think I'm making that one up, but it may be in there as well. And what it does is it makes predictions about where you need to hunt. And you need to go back and listen to the episodes we've had him on because this is an incredible app. And as he rolls out more features, the price is going to reach upwards of $80, $80 a year. But if you use the promo code Chasing Tails, you can lock in a $20 price point for life. And I'm going to tell you right now, I there's not a person I've spoken to who has thoroughly used this app and said that it wasn't just Johnny, you know, Johnny on the spot. It's it's amazing. I heavily encourage you guys to go check it out. Spartan Forge. No one makes better technical gear for the price than Scree Gear. You've heard us talk about that a lot. The wool layering systems, it doesn't stink in the South. In fact, Ryan on this episode talks about scent control and, and just about how impossible it is. I'm a firm believer that thin Wool layers definitely help mitigate bacteria growth that makes you stink. Now, I'm not saying it makes you invisible in the woods. What I am saying is no one likes to stink. And if you can eliminate that and stay comfortable, and as cold fronts start to push in, if you're not in South Florida, but you're up here on the Panhandle or up into the mountains of Georgia, Alabama, and South Carolina, you get some frigid temperatures mixed in with some really hot temperatures. And a technical layering system really helps you take idle moments to active moments and be equipped the entire time. So use the promo code chasing tails 15 to get 15% off any regular priced priced item at screegear.com. They are great people. Let them know that we sent you last, but certainly not least my favorite pre piece of deer hunting gear is everything that I've got from tethered <laughs> end of story. Full stop. Tethered is amazing from a saddle to platform to accessories to hang everything from climbing systems with the new Tethered One climbing stick. Tethered is a remarkable, remarkable system that honestly, I believe, changes the way that you can hunt deer. We've had multiple guests come on and all give their testimonies. Saddle hunting is the way to increase where you can hunt, how you can hunt and get closer to bigger deer. And Chase, I think with that, it's time to let them onto the show. Yeah, let's do it. Welcome back, everybody. I've got a fellow that on the line that uh, has come very highly requested. In fact, uh, several of our Patreon members have requested having him on. And uh, shout out to John. Uh, he, he has asked numerous times to, to have uh, the legendary Captain Ryan Nitz on the, on the phone. And we've got him. We, we've locked him down for 45 minutes, Chase. We've got to make haste. <laughs> yeah, we do. Yeah, he has been requested. <laughs> Uh, he's just a, a big buck slayer down there in central South Florida area, so I'm, I'm glad to have him on. Absolutely. Ryan, thank you for taking time out of your day, and I hope you don't mind you know, explaining to everybody how you tie him up uh, before the season. Absolutely, boys. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, uh, you know, I like to have them. I like to let them know to let them out the cage about 8.30, and I like to be done before <laughs> breakfast. But, um. Man, Florida whitetails. Um, you know, I've hunted, I would say, 99% of it's, you know, public land in Florida. But every now and then I do get to go out of state and whether it's private or public. And I can promise you, um, if you want a challenge, there is nothing harder than killing a South Florida whitetail on public land. Um, and I've just been fortunate enough to, um, you know, have the time. And, and that's really all 
what it comes down to is, is having a lot of time out there. Um, you know, a lot of people aren't fortunate enough to have that time where, you know, they might be able to only hunt maybe two or three days the whole year um, where, you know, um, I kind of can make my own schedule. I've been lucky enough to um, have the opportunity to go out there when, it's, you know, once it's hunting season and I'm out there almost every day. And I think that's, you know, a huge success, you know, a huge key to my success. Yeah. So let's, let's unpack that a little bit. What do you do for a living uh, down here in, in, in the Sunshine State? Well, um, I used to do pest control. Um, I did that forever. I did that for five years. You know, as soon as I got out of high school, that's when I started hunting. Um, you know, once I finally had my, my license and my mom would let me leave the house, which wasn't until about 16. So basically once, you know, a uh, senior year in high school, I'll say about 18, 19 is when I really started hunting. Um, and that was a, a particular piece of public land, um, you know, 20 minutes west of my house, which was 60,000 acres. And, you know, it seems like a lot of land and it is a lot of land, but, you know, down here, you're allowed to use buggies, which, you know, those, those boys on those buggies can get anywhere they want. So 60,000 acres, the swampland, um, the deer are really, really, really hard to kill there. There's so much cover. There's so much swamp. There's so much predator. There's so much pressure. Um, you know, it's not like hunting a cornfield in Iowa. So that's where I learned how to hunt. And, you know, you can ask anyone who's hunted that place. If you can kill a buck out of there every 10 years, you did a good job. I mean, just killing a buck there once, once is, is an accomplishment. So that's where I learned to hunt. And that's really real. I sharpened my, my sticks and stones there. Um, anyway, so yeah, 19, I started hunting it. I did pest control up until I was about 25 and, uh, believe it or not, you know, my girlfriend made me get an Instagram, didn't want to get an Instagram at the time. Now I'm talking, this is probably eight years ago when Instagram was coming up, maybe seven years ago. I didn't want to get one. I was like, no, I don't want to get an Instagram. Well, finally got an Instagram and just started throwing like videos on my GoPro of, of these big fish towing me around. And um, long story short, you know, that kind of blew up my Instagram so big to where it later developed into me becoming a guide. Um, primarily it was going to be first of just a fishing guide. Um, and at that same time, I actually had an outfitter in North Florida, um, offer me a job turkey hunting or, and t being a guide for turkey hunts. So that was probably five years ago when I was 25. That's where the guiding all started coming into place. Um, and you know, in between, you know, when, so when I was doing the pest control, um, I would work all day long and I kid you not, man, every day after work or on the weekends, that's all I did was spend time in the woods. I mean, that's all I did. There was no, you know, partying, no nothing. It was either work or woods or work or fishing. And that's really all I've done. Um, so it, it all comes down to, you know, in the, in the last 10 years of me doing this, I'm, I just turned 30. So I guess, you know, for a solid 10 years, I've been hunting the public land down here. Um, I mean, I can tell you, I've covered every acre of every WMA, when I say WMA, wildlife management area um, in South Florida. I've been to every single one of them. I've, I've hit every corner of every one. And I have my spots now where every year I can pretty much go there. And if the, as long as there's not somebody there already, the deer are going to be there, which, you know, nowadays more, you know, you see it more and more every year, um, you know, especially with social media that, you know, the WMAs are getting pounded with people. But, you know, for me, I've always if I pull up to an area, 
and there's someone there, I don't ever sweat it. I don't even go there. I've, I've killed so many deer driving maybe 500 yards down the road, parking and walking into a totally blind new area. And I've killed so many deer doing that. So I, I really laugh at those people who get so butthurt, you know, with people walking in on them and blowing and, you know, they say they blow it out. That's not true. Walk 150 yards the other way. And there's probably a deer standing there. It's happened so many times. So I, I know, I know I'm rambling, but the, when we start talking Florida <laughs> white, you know, that's what it gets me. <laughs> no, I think, I think that's exactly what we're looking for. I mean, so immediately out the, at the jump, I've got a couple questions. First and foremost is, have you noticed there to be a pattern or some trend across all of those? You mentioned all the different WMAs you've been to. Uh, have you noticed some form of behavior or habitat that has been beneficial for you that that's kind of, you know, been identifiable across all the different WMAs or is it just a, a broad skill set for you? Well, um, a big thing is water. Um, and I think a lot of people are afraid to get their toes wet around here. When I say water, I mean, I've killed a lot of deer in 18 to 24 inches of water. Literally, my climber will be in a tree where if I drop my phone, it's in two foot of water almost. And um, so, yeah, you know, and every WMA around here has got water. So if you can get into some of these areas where you're kind of, you know, uncomfortable, um, that's where those deer are. And I think, you know, I, I see and I'm not saying, you know, I've seen. I've killed deer, you know, a hundred yards from the parking lot. That can't happen. But them big five, six year old mature bucks, they're in areas where, I mean, people really just don't go. And that's when you're going to water. That's when the water comes in. Because other than that, like I said, the WMAs, they get hammered, um, especially now with e-bikes. You know, e-bikes are, are a huge thing now. And it's, <laughs> it's, it's brought, like, I can't lie. I bought one. It's some of the best money I've ever spent. Um, and, you know, some of the deer I killed last year, I wouldn't have been able to kill without them, um, you know, because you're talking four to eight mile treks. Um, and if you kill, you know, 140, 150 pound animal and you got, you know, four miles to go through the swamp, forget about it. Um, so e-bikes are a huge thing. Um, hunting water has been a huge thing for me. I'm not afraid. I usually don't even wear a lot of people know that I don't wear boots. Most of the time I literally go barefoot. And that's just because, one, the water's so deep, it's going to go over any boot you wear. And two, I like to uh, I like to do a lot of walk and stalking. And it's not really something I recommend for m- many things. Um, one, if, you, if, you've never, if you're not patient, walking and stalking is not for you because people don't understand how slow you really have to walk. You know, you can get down and walk around and most of the time they'll say, oh, well, I didn't see anything. Well, you know what? You probably spooked three bucks and, you know, whatever it is, because you just you, you don't understand how slow and how tuned you have to be like with way far ahead of you and way close to you. So it's really kind of a skill you have to kind of acquire. And I think most of that was me. You know, when I was a kid, I used to go um, hog hunting all the time and I, I killed so many hogs. That's how I kind of really learned how to walk and stalk. And um but yeah, walking and stalking, walking and stalking is huge. Um, so those two things, um, e-bikes and water, have, were my two big success stories for this year. I would say those are two big contributions. Okay, Chase, your turn. I'm just going to hog this. Otherwise, I've got so many questions. <laughs> uh, well, do you do you run any cameras down there? 
I'm not too crazy with the cameras because a lot of my hunting, I, I bounce around so much to, to different properties that I'm really, by the time I get one on camera, it's not like I'm going to pattern that deer and kill that deer. You don't, you don't hardly ever are going to pattern a deer here on a WMA. Um, that rarely happens unless you have a quota hunt, which if you're not familiar with a quota hunt, you know, they'll say, you know, there's a 20,000 acre piece and they're only going to let 30 people hunt it. Well, if you get that quota, a lot of times you only have three days to get it done. And if you don't get it done in those three days, that's it. Sorry. Um, so yeah, you can run cameras on those type of hunts, but even then, you know, that's only giving you a 1% picture of what's really happening. And, um, so you can utilize them. I mean, cell phone cameras have been a huge thing for, you know, so I'm a guide as well. And, um, you know, the cell phone camera, holy smokes, that's a game changer. Um, for, okay. For Florida whitetail purpose, you don't have to go in there every week and check your camera, which these, you know, I, I'm not too big of a, like, don't get me wrong. I used to always check my camera maybe every 10 days and whatnot, but a, a five-year-old mature whitetail, dude, if you're checking your camera every week, you're probably never going to see that deer ever. That deer knows, like the deer knows. And and I've had cameras out where it, I, it's like 10 days seems to be the mark where the area finally clears out and that, that buck starts to come back through. So with cell phone cameras now, you can stick that thing up and not go in there every week. And you'll see after about two weeks, the, 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 the bucks will start rolling through there. So if you're in there every week, that deer, he, he figures that out. Um, so with quota hunts, that can happen, especially once quotas come out. I've seen it. You know, you go out there all summer long. You do all your homework. You get on a buck. And when they're in their summer uh, pattern, you know, they're very patternable in the summer. Um, you know, you can go out to an area and see them almost every night at the same time. And when those quotas come out, everyone's out there scouting. And those deer are like, oh, okay, boys, it's time to head, you know, into the 20 inches of water that I was talking about. Um, that's, that's, it happens all the time. So pressure is just, you can do, um, you can do whatever you want with the cameras, but the, the people coming through are going to push things around. Um what, what what was the question again? <laughs> it was just that I was just wondering if you utilized cameras at all and if you found them beneficial. I more rely on just my spots now over the years. I already know that there's going to be deer there. I've had the cameras there. So, you know, I've had I've had people cut down a, a, a full grown pine tree to get my camera off the tree. And at that point, I was like, all right, you know, what? forget this. <laughs> um, like, OK, you know, and I'm not going to do it. So I kind of just, um, like I said, most of my spots, I don't really hunt the same area more than mm, two or three times throughout the year. So I have so many spots. I'm, I hunt it for one or two days and I'm on to the next spot. And that's probably another huge um, factor of why I, I'm successful. You know, I'm always bouncing around. Your best chance of killing these deer are is on that very first sit. Um, so that's probably another huge factor, I would say. So what were, what were some of your resources as you underwent this, <clears throat> this task of hunting public land? What, what resources were you using to advance yourself as an outdoorsman? Were you solely self-taught or were there a piece of like, like everybody likes to be like Dan Infelt, John Eberhardt, Beast Tactics, Hunting Pressure. I mean, like, were there any resources that you found applied to Florida that uh, maybe people are overlooking? 
Um, not really. Uh, I mean, for hunting wise, I mean, my dad got me into hunting. Um, he taught, you know, he, he brought me on a few hog hunts and, and that was where I, you know, got, that's how I learned it, but never really taught me on any of the public land or anything like that. Um, but it was always in my blood. So I kind of just picked it up through, you know, some of my friends in high school that hunted. Um, and that's kind of how I got into it. But other than that, I mean, you know, there's not really any programs around here that promote it or anything. So, you know, I get a lot of people fishing that like if they've never hunted, they, they're never going to hunt because if you're not really born into it or someone you know teaches you at a younger age, you really don't get into it. And there's really not that many programs around here that, you know, put the kids into hunting or anything. If that's kind of what you're asking. One of the things we, we find a lot is there are people who put out like in, information like this is how you should hunt deer and a lot of times there's like a disconnect like a genuine disconnect because there aren't farm rows there aren't agricultural fields there, there seems to be kind of sometimes a void of good resources that if you're coming into hunting later in life <clears throat> your mainstream sources don't tend to apply to florida it's just it's its own little kind of animal there um i, I think it's yeah. interesting what you say about it, it kind of sounds like you're hunting pressure less than maybe hunting deer per se, like you're identifying good deer, but it seems like you're trying to identify where they are going to go once the orange army, for lack of better words, hits the woods. Oh, yeah, I don't, it, oh, yeah, like, so if I get them on camera in the summer, I'm like, well, I'm not gonna hunt here, because I already know it's going to change, but that is exactly how I hunt it. I anticipate where they're going to go, and that seems to be the key. Um, you know, most people, let's say most people go in a mile, I'm going in three miles, and that's just like pretty much anywhere you know you got to go a little bit further than the next person and usually going in further is going into the water it seems for me that makes sense when you're doing your spot and stalk are you are you mainly carrying the rifle when you do that and how do you balance like running into other people no that's mostly um i mean it's a, it's it's all seasons really gotcha. um i typically like if i have a three-day quota hunt the first day is i'm in my climber you know i'm in the climber where I've scouted probably mostly of the summer, wherever I think that deer is going to be. That's where the climber's going on day one, and that's where I'll sit all day. And then if day two rolls around and, and nothing happened on day one, that's where I'm starting to get a little itchy. I'll probably hunt that second morning in the climber. And then by nine o'clock, like, you know, I'm on the ground and I'm slowly starting to snoop around. And that's nothing with just binoculars and my bow and maybe a, a half of a water bottle in my pocket and that's it. Like there's no gear. There's no, <laughs> there's nothing. There's, and a lot of times it's just board shorts. You know, I just wear, you know, camo board shorts and I, half the time I won't even have a shirt on cause it's, you know, no joke. It'll be 95 degrees out, out here and the deer will be rutting. You know, our, our deer down here start rutting in August. I mean, some of them, some, some parts of the state there, even in July, they start to rut. So, but for here, it's mostly late August uh, and early September. That's, that's the prime rut for like this area. And I mean, it's 90 degrees. It's negative five mile per hour wind. It's terrible. <laughs> it's the most miserable hunt I'll ever have. Almost every time I'm up in a tree, like opening week, I'm like, what am I doing? This is so stupid. Um, but as soon as you say that in your head, here comes, you know, uh, here he comes. And, um, it's just, 
for me, I think it's it's just such a challenge and I love it. And you can never, you know, I, I embrace other people. Like if someone comes down, if I do, if I run into somebody, good, you know, I'm going to go somewhere else. And like I said, I've killed so many deer like that, that I don't even care if I see somebody. Um, and most of the times they're spooking them or, you know, I've watched deer. I've, you know, I've been in a climber and I've watched deer watch somebody walk by. So I'll be in my climber. I've watched a dad and his son walk through. And while he walked through, I watched a six point, watch them. And as soon as they walked through the trail, about one minute later, he just, just resumed his normal operation. Like it never even happened. I mean, so, you know, it's, it's, I know it's really easy to get discouraged when you see somebody, but, um, I've never even sweated it. You know, I'll go talk to the guy. I always tell him I don't see anything, but you know, I'll go talk to the guy and tell him good luck and, you know, go the other way, which, you know, there are some people you got to watch it down here. Some people down here are absolute slap crazy. Um, so you definitely got to watch it down here. Some of the locals around here think they own the place. And, and now, like I said, with social media, especially with turkey season, not so much the deer, you know, not too many people come to Florida for a deer, but as far as turkey season goes with the Osceola turkeys, it is an absolute madhouse down here now with the social media and everyone, you know, YouTube. So that's a resource um, in itself that has probably driven more people here to hunt than ever is, is just the YouTube videos, you know, how to go to the swamps in Florida and hunt. There's a million videos on that. And, you know, the podcasts and, and everything else, too. <laughs> like this one. <laughs> yeah. Like I said, I love it, man. I, I, You know, I go out of state and hunt, too. So, you know, I don't ever discourage people coming here and giving it a try. Um, I just tell them good luck. Because if you're going to come, if you're an out-of-stater and you're going to come down here for a three- to five-day hunt, man, that's that's not even scratching. You won't even scratch the surface on a five-day hunt down here. You know, it takes five years <laughs> to find one. Yeah, that that makes sense for sure. I, I think one of the reasons why I was so eager to get you on after after there were some requests is because <clears throat> while sometimes I'm a little resentful that Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, you're out there uh, posting Instagram stories from the outdoors and I'm in an office, it's always cool to see how positive you stay the entire time. Like, with with rare exception it you are always just like with a slap smile on your face it seems like you're always like encouraging and 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 optimistic and you can even hear it through this interview how you don't get bent out of shape about hunting a spot and that's that's an easy trap to fall into i mean there i'll admit that sometimes i've gotten into into i won't say arguments but you know heated dialogues over like you know a dude walking in on me in an area i thought was was primo you know well after daylight or something and so um i how much do you think that attitude factors into your success in the outdoors? I mean, a ton, but, you know, don't get me wrong. I've had spots where, you know, it's an ace in the hole and you got, you know, let's say you got a 115 inch buck, which is a giant down here on public land. Um, say you have them on camera every morning at eight o'clock and you set up opening morning and at seven thirty, here comes this guy walking around. I mean, that's super frustrating, but you just got to get in your head that, you know what? Not everyone likes in their stand. Not everyone has the perfect job where maybe he's just getting out here. Um, like I said, you just, you can't get mad at things like that. And if you get mad at it, then you know what, get a better job and go buy some private land. That's really all you can do. But, um, that's it really. I mean, what else can you do? Um, 
But for me, like I just I I, I sat in the, the climbers and watched people walk by, and I've been the guy who's walking by. And yeah, but if I always see, if I see somebody on a trail, you know, 200 yards ahead of me, I'm gonna turn around and, and totally walk or you know let them have it. Um, some people don't do that, but um, like I said, I don't care if, if they're gonna stick around. Then I'll get down and move. And and I've I've killed so many deer doing that, like almost more than than not doing that. So I don't get mad at all, and and just use that kind of really throughout life. I mean. I think that comes from, you know, back when I was in high school, just, you know, my parents, they never had a lot of money. I never really, you know, had a lot of money. And so whenever I would finally, you know, make a couple grand or have a couple grand in the bank, I'd always get hit with like a truck bill or, you know, some kind of health issue would come up and, you know, you go to the emergency room because or for something and then they hit you with this bill. And that's happened to me like five years in a row from like 18 to 23 to where, now when something goes wrong like i don't even sweat it because like i know it, it, you're, you're always going to bounce back from it it's fine it's whatever it's just the way life goes and the sooner you can just realize that it's so much like so much easier so i just apply that to hunting too you know you can sit there and cry about it or you just get over it okay it happened all right on to the next thing and that's pretty much where that came from i know, I know that's where that came from because i used to always stress about it i always stress about okay i I got two grand in the bank, boom, something will happen and I'd be devastated. And now, I mean, now I just, it doesn't even affect me. Obviously, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I make a little bit more money now, but that was kind of the general idea where that came from. Don't sweat it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, uh, I think it's, it's very, it, it's easier said than done, but you've obviously practiced and rehearsed it enough that it, it it's, it's paying dividends. And I, I try my co-host, uh, he's got a nicknamed, a nickname that everybody likes to call call him Iceman because he never gets rattled. In fact, I've only seen him like elevated once, maybe twice, uh, in in all the years that I've known him. And so I try and channel my inner nits and 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 chase over there because I just uh, I tend to be that guy that gets a little too invested. <laughs> right, and emotions definitely sometimes get the best of me too. I don't. I mean, I'm sure you followed my Instagram where I got into it with that old guy on the seawall the other day. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So, yeah, but that's, that was different. Well, I think, I think there's a difference between two guys bumping into, into each other in, in the middle of the woods and, and some dude trying to prevent you from doing something legal just cause they don't like it. I think that's like two totally different. I, I applaud the way you handle that dude. Cause I mean, he's just being a jerk. Yeah. He's just, he's miserable in his life, which it sucks. But, um, Yeah. Well, Ryan, how, how do you um, – we were talking about quota hunts earlier. A lot of people like to get quota hunts down here in Florida. H- how do you approach a three- or five-day quota hunt? Like what, what type of scouting goes into it and all of that? So, yeah, once – so we apply uh, right now. Now is the applications. They're going to come out in about a month. Um, they're going to probably come out, I think, late June, which gives you about two full months before the hunt. Um, and for me, you know, I probably won't set out any cameras. Um, like I said, for me now, I don't do too much scouting. I'll go out there maybe like two or three weeks before the hunt and, and just kind of glass some of the areas and make sure like the area I want to hunt's like looking okay. Um, but before, um, I would just go out, I just going out there and putting the time on the foot, you know, walking around, 
and looking for, I mean, you don't really see scrapes here or, you know, you'll see a couple rubs. So you're just, you know, looking for some rubs. Um, they'll start rubbing right before season here. And if you can get on a good rub line and just, you know, actually sit it all day long, you will kill. You know, I've killed a lot of deer. I've killed more deer in the middle of the day than I have in the morning or afternoon. So that's probably another huge factor. Um, you know, I see so many people. You'll see at 930 comes around. You'll hear all the trucks fire up. You'll see the e-bikers starting to clear out. <laughs> I've killed, you know, my, some of the biggest bucks I've killed were probably right around 1 o'clock middle of the day sun straight over my back yeah I, I it's always perplexed me how the quota hunts pose such a unique challenge because what you said let me let me dig a little deeper into something you said earlier do how do hmm, let me see how far do you feel like you go from where you identify whitetails to where you find them after the pressure picks up Oh, a minimal, a mile. Okay. Um, yeah, but I would say typically a mile to two miles um, because there's a couple sections that I hunt that are kind of in blocks. And, um, yeah, definitely, I would say a mile. Um, and I've had cameras that have backed that up, too, where, um, I, you know, I've had the same buck um, all full velvet all summer long. Um, and as soon as he went hard horned, whether it was, you know, pressure from people scouting or just him changing his pattern, you know, once they go hard horned, um, you know, he was 1.3 you know, miles from where he was all summer long. And um, so they definitely like, then that's why I don't get too hung up on them where I see them in the summer because, and that, and I know a lot of private property owners around here, it's the same story for them too. As soon as those deer lose that velvet, they are on a total, they're a totally different animal and they are probably leaving that area. And if you follow me for a while, you've seen that a lot of my wildlife photography, um, I, I've, I've followed a big group of bucks in, um, in a preserved area around where I live. I say preserved, you're just not allowed to hunt there. It's, they're wild deer, it's, it's wild woods, but you know, you're allowed to walk through there and jog or whatever. And so for many years, I would go in there with my camera and just watch these deer. And that's, you know, another place where I learned a lot. You learn a lot, a lot, a lot when you just watch an animal and you don't kill them, especially with the bucks. Um, so I, anyways, I would go in there and all summer long in, the, in this particular area, there would only be does, does, does. You might see a two or three year old buck every now and then. And then come August, the place would just erupt with these bucks. And what they were doing is they were swimming across a giant canal as soon as they lost their, their velvet, they would all come from a whole nother section of woods, cross a canal, a really big canal, and get into this area where all these does were, which, you know, was probably, I would say, almost another mile again. And um, they would come in there from August through late December. And as soon as kind of that rut was over, um, January, they were back over on the other side, away from all the deer, and kind of would start to isolate themselves again. So, you know, if you do find a, a nice bachelor pack um, and you have maybe the first archery hunt, yeah, you might be able to get in there on them on, a, on an early archery hunt. But after that, don't rely on hunting that same area just because you saw them there in the summer because, you know, chances are they're a mile away. Interesting. I, I've got to find a way to, to try and apply this because we, we hunt a lot of areas that 
most of the areas I hunt in Florida tend to be quota only just because the non-quota only tend to be, uh, you know, heavily dog hunted up here. And so right. uh, the the range, the natural range that the deer have here when they're not pressured is monstrous. I mean, it's just unfathomable. I think it would blow people's minds in other states how far a deer travels, I think, probably just to get its, the you know, what it needs to survive. I mean, I get a photo on, of a deer in one area and it's a mile away a day later and there he is just walking through you know it's not the rut he's not going on some expedition that's his home range you know yeah um so so then applying applying that to to some of the to the heavy pressure spots maybe maybe they uh don't go quite as far but maybe i could find some areas that don't have that dude walking through as much during the day and that that would be uh the area i'm looking for yeah and the thing is you know you can't you can never uh, predict who's going to be there on what day. You know, every, every year there's a new group of hunters in there getting that quota. There's a new group of hunters with different tactics. Um, you could go in there on day one, nobody be in there. Perfect. I'm going to go in there day two, crush them. Boom. Day two comes in. There's three people in there. Um, so you just got to, if I tell anyone, if you're going to do it, just don't worry if you see someone or if someone blows you out or you think they're blown out, either sit there and keep hunting. Like I said, I've watched deer, watch people walk right on by and boom, they'll pop out. Seen that happen. Or I've got down because I was discouraged. You know, there is a point where you're like, all right, you know what? I'm out of here. Um, and you know, like I said, I'll get down, go to the truck, drive a mile down the road, go to an area I've never even, never even scouted before, kill a giant buck. So it's just the way it goes. How many times will you hunt an area before you, you'll, you'll leave it because you aren't seeing what you're supposed to? Um, tough well, question, me, right? Because there's so many it, factors that go question. into it. And just For me, it's just, it all depends on how many quotas I get every year. I got a lot of buddies now. Um, obviously when they get the quota for a particular area, they want me to be their, their guest because they want me to bring them to the spot, which works out for both of us. Mostly the time me, because I still end up shooting them first and they get, <laughs> that's just the way it goes. I, I, I tell them, I say, I give them the choice too, every time, because this is, this is the problem. I say, you can sit in my stand or I can sit in your stand. Which one do you want to sit in? Because I don't want to hear, oh, you put me in the crappy spot. Cause that happens. But I give them the choice now. I said, which spot do you want? They sit it and it's. But, uh, so I, I, so what, what I mean by that is I, I don't ever get to hunt the same spot that long anyways, regardless, even if I do find a big buck because I'm going, okay, so this spot opens first, I'm going to hunt that spot the first week. Well, after the first week, well, the second week of hunting season, I have a quota hunt. So I'm going there on the second week. Well, then the third week comes by, um, you know, another WMA opens up and I'll hunt there. And then by then it's muzzleloader season and it's just, it keeps rotating through to where, I just really don't get too landlocked unless there's a really special deer there. Um, and, uh, you know, without the cameras running, I mean, I, I'll run cameras actually once I start hunting an area just for that, that week, you know, that particular week, if I get in there on, let's say I get in there on a Friday, I'll set the camera up on Friday and hunt that for a few days. And I'll check that camera, you know, cause I'll set it right there at my climber and y'all have deer coming right then and there. And if I get a deer like that night, I'll hunt that area a few more days, but, um, I just, I don't ever get too hung up on one particular area ever, really hardly ever. That makes sense. I probably, I probably bounce around 
almost too much now I, because like my, my default was like, there's good sign here, hunt it till they come by, which I think is probably like the default for most people. And over the past couple of years, I've gone the exact opposite where it's like, I'm just bouncing around all over the place. Um, I, I probably need to find some middle ground. Uh, once I get familiar with that area, find some middle ground of areas that seem to be high percentage areas and, and focus on them. Cause that's, that seems to be what kind of chase has been able to do in the, in the North central area where he's identified good areas. He bounces around, but he doesn't, I don't correct me if I'm wrong, chase. I mean, I don't think you bounce around like radically. No, no, I, I kind of like Ryan. I mean, you find like good traditional areas, and I just hunt them when it, the time's right. Like I know when the time's right to be in there or some of my areas, I know when the time's right to be in there and I never go in there. Like if the wind's wrong, I'm not constantly going in there checking cameras or uh, anything like that. So I think just uh, luckily I can kind of leave them alone uh, in some of those areas and not have to worry about pressure. There's no such thing as scent control down here when it's 98 <laughs> degrees. Yeah. Yep. You want it. Literally, as soon as you step outside, you're sweating. Um, so the wind is huge. Um, if I can find an area that I typically know that's good, you know, opening day, I'm going to go in there. Wind's out of the southeast or whatever it is. I'll set up, you know, according to that. And, um, you know, the rub lines are big for me. I do like hunting a really good rub line. So I would just go in there. So, so typically what would happen for me, let's say opening day Saturday, I'd probably go out there the week before and put down, no lie, probably six or seven miles of just straight walking. And um, throughout that six-mile walk, I'm going to know exactly where I want to be through that six miles. And there's going to be one tree in particular where I'm going to be like, you know what, that's the tree this year. And um, so I'll set it there, and then I'll go in there that next, you know, that next Saturday opening morning, just, you know, as long as the wind's right. And that's, that's pretty much all, all the scouting I'll do. Um, now that I'm a guide too, I just, with, you know, my, my fishing, I don't really get to scout as much as I wish. I could. Uh, the, uh, I would kind of like to know, like, is your, like your progression as a hunter, um, was there a point where you were, you were getting on deer, you were killing deer, and then you went to like the next level where you were killing mature deer. Did you, have you had that? That's, that's happened throughout the last two to three years. Like pretty much last year is where. I went from killing like three, four year olds to like four or five year olds, like all strictly real mature deer. And, you know, that was just a really, really good year. Um, but I definitely, it's definitely stepped up my level to where obviously I'm not going to shoot an 80 inch buck anymore. Like I love watching those walk by. You're not going to kill a 120 shooting an 80. It's just, it's not going to happen. Um, so, you know, last year, Last year, I got a hold of a, a, you know, one in the 140s. I got one in the 120 class. Um, probably, I shot two in the 120 class. And that's pretty much my cutoff now. Um, it's probably in the 120s. And, and if I hunt the whole year and don't kill one, like, I'm not going to be mad. I'm not that type of hunter. Just to be out there is so therapeutic to me. And that's why I think I, I'm probably pretty successful. I'm not worried about really killing the deer. I'm just going out there. I love it so much. Just being out there in the woods. I see a doe. It's a good day, really. Um, so, but the, you know, the year before last year, I was killing, you know, like 90 inch deer, killed a bunch of like 90 inch bucks and I was thrilled, loved it. And don't get me wrong. When I see a 90 inch buck, I like I'm coming unglued and I'm going to want to shoot it. But I'm like I said, I'd rather I'd rather homie who I just saw walking by who probably hasn't killed that buck. I'd rather watch him shoot that 90 inch buck 
than for me to just put another 90 inch buck on the wall, especially if I already have, you know, a bunch of meat in the freezer. I mean, if it's, don't get me wrong. We're, so we're allowed five deer here now. That's what they got us. Um, we, we didn't used to have a limit here up until about two or three years ago. It used to be, you were allowed a deer per day, every day. And just within the last two or three years, they've made it to where you're allowed five. So don't get me wrong. That first buck of the year, uh, the, with the bow is going to be really hard to not shoot um, if you, you know, the 80 or 90 inch deer. Uh, it's really hard to let a 90 inch deer walk with your bow opening week or whatever. So, but other than that, um, I'm going to let him pass because I know I'm fortunate enough to do a lot more hunting throughout the year. So I'm not too picky. Um, I'm not just, you know, trigger happy out there. And, you know, with the year I had last year with shooting, you know, you know, three really nice big bucks on public land. I mean, I could, like I said, I could hunt five years and not kill another deer. I would be super content with that. Um, so there's no pressure. I just, I'm just out there to have a good time and it all just falls into place. It seems. Yeah. I I think whenever you go out with that attitude, man, and, and then combine it with just enough time, good things come, come about that. I think if you get too serious about it, um, you tend to maybe make unforced errors or you overthink it in reality, just time. Yeah. yeah. You start, you start to take the fun out of it. I've I've watched, I've watched plenty of my buddies get frustrated and just, you know, they call me after like day three and they're like, I haven't seen anything. This sucks. I'm over it. I'm like, all right, well, see ya. (laughs) (laughs) For sure. Well, I want to be respectful of your time. I know you got some things going on tonight and we've ran over a little bit, but I have a concluder that I like to ask all new guests and uh, I say that hoping that you'll find time to, to, to join us again, uh, maybe talk about something else or dive further into this if people have questions. But I've got a question for you, and I hope you're ready. Okay. If you could go back to your earliest deer hunting self and impart one piece of wisdom that would have forever changed the trajectory of you as a deer hunter, what singular piece of advice would you go back and give yourself? Mm, wow. What would I go back and tell myself? Um, honestly, it, it would be, I mean, the first initial thought is to, is to just never, and, and I, I still tell myself this every time, is, and when the heat of the moment happens, it's such a mental game. Like, you need to mentally not rush yourself. Don't ever rush an, a shot on an animal. Like, how do I say it? I mean, there's so many times I've had so a, a lot of instances where the buck got away because I thought that this was my only shot and I just got to take that shot. And I've taken shots that were just ridiculous. And as I progress as a hunter, you know, I'm not so bloodthirsty, if you will. I've, I've waited and waited and watched where it, you know, that deer slips back around and gives you the perfect shot. And it took me many years to just learn that, to just let it happen the right way. If it doesn't happen the right way, don't, don't screw it up, which is harder to say, you know, when, like, you know, like I said, back to where, you know, people only have three days to hunt the whole year. They're going to let it rip no matter what. But if I could just go back and tell myself, listen, all these big bucks that you're going to miss in a few years, just take your time, let it happen naturally, or don't, you know, screw it up. That's awesome, man. I don't think we've actually gotten that answer before, Chase. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't think we have either. 
So yeah, that was good. That's good uh, information because I remember when I first started hunting, same same type thing <laughs> where like you see this big deer and you don't want it to get away. So you're you're taking like the very first split second shot that you have at it where if you would have just settled down let things happen organically that the shot would have been there you would have been calmer and uh you probably there's been plenty of times where i didn't go home with a deer because i rushed it so i think that's great advice be human nature i mean you can tell yourself not to rush <laughs> it and i can still to this day like if i went hunting tomorrow i tell myself all right don't rush it. And, you know, like a, a buck comes around the corner, I'm about to fall out of my tree stand. I'm so, <laughs> up, so, but if you can just practice that or, or just, you know, have this voice in your head, whether it's, you know, me saying like, dude, focus, like here it is, or just whatever it is, just let it happen naturally. And if it doesn't happen, man, just enjoy it. You know, um, it's just, I agree, yeah. man. The yeah. Looking back, those are the those are the moments I regret. It's not you know any like decision tree over tree or anything like that. It's those rushed shots or or opportunities that you kind of messed up because you didn't go through your process the way you're supposed to. So I think there isn't a single person who listens to this podcast that in their course as an outdoorsman they won't you know learn that lesson. Unfortunately, um, oh yeah, and a lot of times they're gonna have to they're gonna have to make that mistake before they learn it. You know? <laughs> yeah. You can't just listen and be like, okay, yeah, I won't do that. <laughs> uh, but if you just, you know, practice that, it's going to be huge because it's going to happen, man. You're going to blow a lot of opportunities if you just rush that shot. And I mean, there is for me, and I'm sure everyone, are, you know, most people agree, there is nothing worse than putting all that time and effort and then shooting one in the hand and just never finding it or something. There's nothing worse. It, it it is terrible, man. I I appreciate you coming out or coming out, coming on the show and and chatting with us, dude. And I and I'm and I mean this earnestly when I say I'd really love to have you back on, maybe to answer some Florida submitted questions or talk talk fishing because you do a, a fair amount of fishing. Why don't you tell everybody where they can find you and your content? Yeah, most of my stuff is just pretty much on my Instagram. I'm not too big on on any other social media. Instagram is where I throw pretty much everything on there. You can see what I'm doing pretty much day to day. And that's just my name, Ryan Nitz, R-Y-A-N-N-I-T-Z. Um, yeah, so I, I definitely i am down to talk to you boys again. So you just let me know another time, get some questions, and we can run through them. Heck yeah, man. Yeah. I think we need to have him on next uh, turkey season because it looked like he uh, had an <laughs> yeah. epic season guiding and everything. So we definitely need to reach out to him, turkey season. Yeah, man. Well, you know what? Shameless plug here. You've got a call company now, right? No, that's just a buddy that, you know, we've, I've kind of linked up with, uh, just a small company okay. and he sent me some calls and they were, you know, killer calls. And so I've been just doing some stuff with him. I got you. I got you. You want to, you want to drop for your buddy's name since I went ahead and, and put it out there? <laughs> yeah. It's just honeycomb, honeycomb custom calls. Um, you know, and I've ran through tons of calls. I've ran them all. And I mean, you know, you know, most people, and even to me, I'd say, well, how much difference can some mouth calls, you know, be from each other? But every single one he sent me, I've, you know, I've worked with like eight other guys throughout turkey season and I handed them out like candy and all the guys threw away all their wood havens and all that. We're like, dude, this, I'm running this. So that's what I do. I started running those and um, I think he's about to start making some slate calls and whatnot. And it's just a good dude and a good, good company. So I support that all day. Heck yeah, man. Well, 
I appreciate you coming on. We're going to wrap this up. Hang on one second. I want to see you off. But, guys, if this has got you fired up, last week we kicked off our deer season uh, talk or preparation. We're diving into tactics. We're starting to highlight guys that you want to see, topics you want to hear as we start to make the the progression uh, into the summer prep for deer hunting uh, across all the southeast. So, no matter what you do, do me one favor. If this got you excited, get outside and go do something. The weather has been too pretty for most of the country, and we'd love to see what you've been getting into in the outdoors. So until next time, get outside.